This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You know, there's some things that you're like, oh, that moment is what really changed my life, or that instance is what really changed it. But I think more than anything, what I've learned from just talking to so many people is that you have to just enjoy the journey instead of the destination. That has been something I've had to learn and not just always putting the goalpost a little bit further and being happy when you reach that, that it's really important to find that happiness every single day and just enjoy the journey. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to our episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Hadley Vlahos. Hadley is a hospice registered nurse, a mother, and a wife. She started her career as a registered nurse at age 22, and as a hospice nurse, she now visits people at their home while also educating and sharing stories about hospice care on social media, where she has more than a million followers. Today on the show, we discuss what inspired Hadley to become a hospice nurse, her advice for families that are dealing with a loved one in hospice, what patients actually want from their families when they are in hospice, what patients' mindsets look like as they enter into hospice, the profound lessons she's learned from her patients on life, happiness, and relationships, the patient that Hadley thinks about the most, how to know when it's time to seek hospice care, how Hadley manages her own well-being with her profession, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Hadley Vlahos to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Hadley, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you and I'd love to get right into it um, because you're a hospice nurse and one of the things I really wanted to know is it takes a special person to do what you do. Um, what inspired you to get into being a hospice nurse and what really drives you to do it? Yeah, so I actually wanted to be a writer growing up and then life has other plans. I know you and your listeners definitely understand that. And I had my son at 19 and said, okay, life's got some other plans for me and I need a different plan. So I became a nurse. And whenever I became a nurse, my first few jobs, I was just running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I say, just trying to do this task, do that task, just get things done. And whenever I saw hospice nurses for the first time working in a nursing home and them coming and sitting down one-on-one with a patient and really caring about them as a whole person and not just medical tasks, I was like, that's what I need to be doing. And that was six years ago. And I 100% believe I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I love my job. How do you handle like the emotional aspect of it? I mean, because I, I know from from um, listening to your book, you got invested in, in a lot of the patients that you dealt with. Like, how did you create um, separation, if any separation between your own emotional well-being and then dealing with some of these people that you got close to that were on the verge of death? 
It's very difficult and I've really struggled with that. And I think a lot of hospice nurses really struggle with that. Um, one thing that I said in the book that I've said to myself so many times before is driving to a patient's death that I was so close to and thinking to myself, how are you a good hospice nurse when you dread this, when you're so sad? You knew from day one that this day would come. And I have learned through therapy and through time that you don't have to emotionally disconnect and you can accept all the happiness that came with getting to know that person and caring for them and also the sadness. And that's just life. There's happy and there's sad and that's what makes it makes us human. Was there ever a time where you had this this battle though during your um during you know during being a hospice nurse where there was this this moment where you were like, you know what, I need to take better care of my mental health. I need to stop getting so overly invested in my patients? Yes, absolutely. So for that for me that moment, there had been a lot of lead up to it where I was burning myself out by saying I'm going to be the only one for these patients. I'm going to just be on call 24/7. And then as you read, I had a patient who died and right after I left, his wife committed suicide. And I really heavily blamed myself because I was the last one to be with her. And that is what pushed me into therapy to really learn how to take care of myself while also taking care of others. And you can't pour from an empty cup. So how did, like, what was the therapeutic process like from that? Because I'm sure there was a lot to, to unpack given the work that you were doing. And then given, like you said, that you were like the last person to be um, caring for this person before they died. And then his wife ended up um, you know, committing suicide not too long after that. Yeah. So when we first talked about it in therapy, I remember the therapist saying to me, you know, why are you carrying this guilt? And I said, well, I'm a nurse. I should have known that that is what would have happened. I should have been able to figure that out. And she said to me, she leaned back on her feet, she leaned back and she was like, if I indicated to you right now that I was going to kill myself as soon as you left, would you leave? And I said, no, of, co of course I wouldn't leave. And she was like, well, then you didn't know. You, you just didn't know. And that was really the start of me really kind of learning that hindsight is always twenty twenty, And it was not this puzzle piece to put together to figure out this exact moment where I went wrong or something like that. And then I started to trust the therapist and we really started to work through me learning how to care for these people and love these people while also enjoying my own life. I guess on the other side of this, how has your job really shaped your outlook on life? I would imagine that your perspective has, has drastically changed um, since doing the work that you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we learn, I have learned so much about what really matters at the end of life. And I get that reminder every single day, which I just think is so important. You know, one patient that I took care of, they were so incredibly wealthy. And I remember walking into her house and she was in this hospital bed that we provide every single patient. And he ha she had her husband next to her and her daughter. And then that same day, I go to another house where they are, I don't even know how the walls were standing up, to be honest, no electricity, no running water, in the exact same hospital bed. And also had family around them, and they were both 
happy. And it just, that has always stood out in my mind as being like, you know, at the end, what really matters is the people around us, not the stuff around us. That's a great insight. You know, and I think you hear that a lot through people who have talked to people before they're dying or they've read, you know, different studies or whatever on what really matters most towards the end of people's lives. And that you'll, you'll hear them say, you know, it's like, I wish I would have spent more time with loved ones. Family matters. Friendships matter. Relationships matter. You as somebody that seems like you're very into personal development, into learning more about yourself, self-discovery, what were some of the things you wanted to know from some of these patients that you worked with? What types of questions would you ask them that would influence how you lived your life? I always ask them if they seem open to telling me, um, what advice would you give to yourself when you are my age? And I really love hearing what they wish that they would have done differently. And a lot of times it is not worrying about other people and what other people think you should be doing and really just living life for yourself. And one that was really, really profound for me that I had never really considered was a patient who told me that he didn't really understand that the time passes anyway. And, you know, I don't know if we like really consider this, but we think of something like, say, uh, going to medical school would take eight years. And you're like, oh, eight years, like that's a long time. Like, yes, I want to be a doctor, but ugh, eight years. And he said he wished he would have understood that that eight years is going to pass regardless. So you can have eight years pass and you're not a doctor, or you can have eight years pass and you you will be a doctor. And for me, that has been really important as I have embarked on longer journeys of things. So you talked about that the the biggest thing that you learned from them or, or watching these people is that they really cared about like family, right? They cared about living for themselves, not worrying about other things other than what they're they're focused on. Um what were some of the other like common threads that you saw amongst these people and how they carried themselves or what they said to you as far as what really matters in life? Yeah, it, with, with family a lot that they, they really wish that they would have spent more time with their family and that they didn't really understand at the time that what is going on in the day today doesn't matter as much as like the years that go by. And so it's so easy to get caught up, say, in our job or what is going on with needing to pay this bill or do this laundry that you do that every day and you look back like my patients do and they realize that a lot of their life has gone by and a lot of their life looked more like laundry than spending time with their kids. And for me, how I've taken that is that every single day I make sure that I am spending time with my family, with my kids, making sure to put down my phone and do that. And even if I can only do it for 15 to 20 minutes a day, I try to do more. But if that's all I can do, at least I'm making sure I do that every single day and not just once in a while. And so I guess getting into the weeds a little bit more about hospice and what that what that entails and then what advice you might have for families and how they can walk through that process as best as they can with their family. I think it's best that if you could just define like what hospice actually is and what it isn't, because I'm sure there's some misconceptions out there. There's so many. There are definitely tons. So hospice is defined as care whenever a patient has six months or less to live as determined by a doctor, but that is not an exact science. But if a doctor says 
that you are not doing any type of curative treatment anymore, which is usually chemotherapy, surgery, going to the hospital, and your goal is to be at home and to be comfortable, then you come on to hospice care. And instead of having to go to the doctor or the hospital or do whatever kind of care you need, we come to you wherever that is. For some people, it's nursing homes. Some people, it's their home. Um, other people, it's under a bridge. I take care of homeless patients too. And we bring all that care to you and make sure that you are comfortable. And so what is the patient's outlook typically like when they're coming into a hospice care care system? Is their mind like already made up that, you know, that, you know what, like I'm going to die, like this doesn't really matter? Like what is their like emotional well-being like? I would say most people are kind of hesitant unless we get them at the very last minute, which sometimes we do get patients that are, you know, only a week or so left. But the patients that we get that have months left, usually they're pretty hesitant. And I just say, you know what, let's let's do it and you can come off at any time. If this isn't for you and you want to go back to the hospital or you want to try another round of chemo, you know, you just come off. But that very rarely happens. Most of the time patients come on and they are loving the pain control and they love having a nurse on call 24 seven without having to go wait in an ER waiting room and their quality of life, you know, greatly improves. Is there any kind of like metrics that medical professionals use to determine like whether or not like somebody needs to go into hospice? I mean, I know you talked about like the life expectancy metric, but is there anything else as far as like quality of life, you know, habits, how they're taking care of themselves that you would typically used to see if somebody's a great fit? Our guidelines are very intense. It took me like three years to really learn them as far as admitting people. But what I tell families as far as what they should start looking for is really sleeping a lot, slowing down. Every time there's a new treatment, they're a little bit more hesitant. Like, oh, you know, they're like, oh, we could do another round of chemo. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, things like that. For the elderly, um, it is falls, frequent hospital visits. Um, those are usually pretty good indicators. And and so getting into more of like how loved ones can approach this, because I know you, you talk, there's a lot in your book about like, you know, the families and then obviously the patients and how that all intertwines as they're in these final stages of their lives. And from 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 my experience and just maybe observing, and I think you know I shared with you that my my grandmother was in, in hospice before she passed, and I felt like it's more stressful at times on the families mm-hmm. than Absolutely. the person because the person they when they're going in there they're kind of already expecting that you know I'm going in a hospice like something bad is gonna is about to happen whether it's a week from now a month from now six months from now when I pass away. What's your based on what you've seen? What is your advice on some do's and don'ts for families that maybe they're going to be walking through this a moment like this in the future, or they they walked through it before and they want to kind of course correct for the next time? Like, what are some things that that people should pay attention to? One of the biggest things that I will see whenever I get close to both patients and families is that sometimes patients will want to talk about what's going to happen, like their death, and families will not want to. They will change the subject because they think they're being kind. Like a patient will say, oh, you know, when I die, give give my granddaughter this or something like that. And the family will say, well, no, we're, we don't need to talk about that. You're fine. You're doing okay. You know, we don't, don't give up, things like that. 
And they are doing this out of kindness because they don't want their loved one to think that they're giving up on them. But on the other side, the patients are feeling like they don't have anyone to talk to about what they know is happening. So if a patient is bringing up their death, just listening can mean a lot to them. Um, that's something I see with a lot of families. Um, and then, you know, there there's always family dynamics. And I always just tell people that it is very common for families to fight over what the, how their loved one should be cared for that's in hospice. And it, if that is happening to you, do not be scared to tell the hospice team or the social worker. Um, it's extremely, extremely, extremely common. And for myself, so to say, like if there's two daughters fighting, for example, over what should happen with mom, um, I can step in and help with that and help mediate instead of there just being this underlying tension. What do you think these patients typically want like from their families, like when they're in hospice, um, you know, you, you talked about how sometimes they'll try to talk about what's going to happen after they die and the families don't want to talk about it. And, and I'm sure other examples of that exist. Like what have you found that these, these people would really want from their families when they're in this, this state of their life? They want to hear that everything will be okay when they're gone. And I have had to, with the chaplain's help, have had to tell family members that they need to tell them that it's okay for them to go and that they will be okay. And we see people hold on that I feel like might be worried about the state of their family once they're gone. And whenever you can tell them, you know, I'm going to miss you so much, uh, but we're going to be okay. We're going to still see each other for Christmas or Thanksgiving, and we're going to still live our life. We're going to be okay. That can be so liberating for patients. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's very liberating. And then at the end of the day, I think they what they worry about most is like how their families are going to move on mm-hmm. without them. And I would, I would I would guess that the more the families stress out and let and and the patient gets a feel that they're incredibly overwhelmed and emotional, which to an extent I think is 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 obviously normal. But the more they show that, I feel like the more stress it ends up will end up causing the patient more like long term. As far as like self care practices for family members, what are some things that you've seen that have been very successful for people when they're dealing with a patient who's in hospice? Taking time to take breaks. You know, we always talk about parents, which I'm a parent, and like taking breaks and date nights and stuff like that, but we don't talk about caregivers needing it too. And just being able to say, I have a family right now where the daughter is a full-time caregiver, mom requires a lot of care, But every Friday, she has a friend come over and she goes and she does her grocery shop and in peace, she does whatever she wants for a couple of hours on Friday. And that has helped her. Just getting time by yourself can be really helpful, but I think you need to schedule it in and make sure it happens. And then is there like a recommended like cadence you think that has worked best? I mean, from the context of I would imagine if somebody's there all day, every day with their family member, that there's going to create more tension, right? Um, have you found any kind of, you know, daily time frame to be a like a perfect match? You know, if families learn us as the hospice workers and they learn to trust us, which I totally understand that's not always the case, but if they can, say whenever the aides come to give a bath for an hour or the nurse comes, that is time at least 
three times a week where you can go take some time for yourself. And that is that can be incredibly helpful on its own. What do people do in a situation where they're being told they need to go into hospice or they need, they're being told they need to like exit their house? And I've heard this happen with families before where they have somebody who's who blatantly can't live by themselves, but yet they just want to hold on to their independence and to their control of staying there. Have you found anything to be successful in those types of situations or does do they just end a lot of times do those people just end up kind of dying on their own? Yeah, that is very tough. We definitely encounter that. And at the end of the day, you can't force an adult to do something that they don't want to do, even if you do not agree with it at all and don't feel like it's safe. Um, they are allowed to do things. There's even been situations where patients aren't doing something that the family member wants them to do and they've kicked them out of the house. And, you know, you want to say, can you please just do what that family member wants you to do, can you please stop, you know, walking out of the house in the middle of the night or whatever it is. And they they choose to be homeless and you have no choice but to let them do what they want to do. Um, and that can be incredibly difficult, but we have to allow people to make their own choices. Now that you've clarified that, what ends up happening if somebody needs to stay in longer than like six months? Like if you, you mentioned that the six month threshold is kind of like the standard like if somebody, let's just say that they have Medicare or insurance and it's paying for their hospice care for six months and, and then all of a sudden they either run out of money or that time frame is like up and they need to fit somebody else in, like how do, how do things play out from there? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Just Thrive. I have covered the topic of gut health extensively on the show and why it is so important to have a healthy microbiome. 80 to 90% of Americans suffer from some type of gut issue, and 70 to 80% of your immune system is in the gut. And while cleaning up your diet and managing your stress should be at the foundation of addressing your gut health, a probiotic can certainly be very beneficial. When buying a probiotic, you want to be sure that you get one that actually works and delivers on their promises. Research shows that 99.9% .9 of them die in your stomach acid before they reach your gut. That's where Just Thrive Probiotics stands out from the crowd. Their proprietary strains have been third-party clinically tested and proven to arrive 100% alive in your gut, unlike other probiotics that die on the way. But that's not all. Their probiotics have more clinical research than any other products on the market and are proven to work. So if you are tired of struggling with gut issues like gas, bloating, and indigestion, look no further than Just Thrive Probiotics. So for a limited time, you can get 20% off your first 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic. So visit JustThriveHealth.com and use promo code Doug to get 20% off. Again, it's JustThriveHealth.com and use promo code Doug to get 20% off. Now back to the show. So the way that it works is that you get recertified every few months. So as long as a doctor still says that you have six months or less, even if it's already been six months, if they still say today you have six months or less, then you can keep getting recertified. We've had patients, the longest I've had someone is a year. Wow. So they don't just take you off hospice, which is good. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear because I know that's a, that's a concern for people because they save all this money or... They're like going into a place and they're committing themselves and they're like, all right, well, I hopefully these people take care of me in the way that they say they're going to take care of me because this is it. Like these are the last few months um, of my life. Putting a bow on like this part of our conversation for a second and we'll come back to it in a little while is hospice cares, I think 
in many ways get a bad rap, right? There, where people are like, I don't want to send my person out to, ho- to hospice care. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. Is there any kind of like question somebody could ask when they're looking to find a, a, a hospice place, or the, how how does somebody begin to to discover like which place is going to be the the best fit for their family member? That can be incredibly difficult. This is what I say. So if we're talking about not hospice in home, but like a facility. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like a facility. So a lot of times they are also at nursing homes, um, like they coexist together. Um, and what I always say for that is that if you can get a referral from a friend that in my opinion is always going to be number one, someone else already having an experience with it can be the best. But if you don't, I would say you go into the facility and you look and you make sure that there are people up patients up and in the hallways and not just laying in their bed. I think that that is very important, showing that they are getting them up and trying to get them socialized and not just laying in bed all day. And then another big thing is that you can actually go on LinkedIn, Indeed, whatever it is, and see how many job openings there are. And if they are hiring, if they say all shifts, all times, all many people, I personally would not put my loved one there. We know how short-staffed healthcare can be. Um, but there are definitely some facilities where if they're just hiring for one shift, one position, one shift, that's totally fine. You know how it is and you know, the world, but if they say we need help on every single shift, every single time that, that would be a big red flag for me. If somebody runs into this issue and they see something like a nursing home or even like a hospice care that's short staffed and they're like low on workers and, and based on what you said that the person should maybe look for an alternative, you, you see a lot of like in-home care now popping up that is is popular for people that either don't want to commit to going to a home or maybe it's just a better value for them to have an in-person in-person nurse um what are your thoughts on that do you think that it's a a great alternative to going into a nursing home or do you think that there's some uh like blind spots that people might not be aware of Yes, I think it's better if you can do it. So the majority of hospice patients are at their own home with the caregiver and that the majority of my patients, I do see them at their own home. Um, But the blind spots is a lot of people don't realize how much work it is. You need a caregiver like a daughter, a spouse, someone like that who can care for you full time. And we are, you know, just to be upfront in America, that used to be very easy because of the way the retirement was and with women usually staying home that by the time you got to be 80 and your kids were usually 60, they were retired and there was someone who could care for you. Now we are retiring later. We're having kids later. So when you're 80, your child might only be 50 and they have not retired yet. And so it is becoming more and more difficult to keep people at home as we age. And I know in your book, you write a lot about the different patients that you've worked with that have, that have really had an impact on your life. Which is, the one that you, which is the one that you think about the most? Carl is the one I think about the most. He was like a grandparent to me. And for anyone listening, um, he was very resistant to hospice care at first. Uh, he did not want me there. He just wanted to lay in his bed and watch sports. And I kind of broke down his tough exterior a little bit by having him teach me things. And that started with sports. And then he learned I was a single mom. And he, I told him I don't have any time to learn about sports, about the news, to do anything. 
So with him having nothing better to do but lay in bed all day, he started taking on that task of keeping me informed and would write me little notes for every time I showed up. Um, and he would give them to me. And I just thought it was our little sweet thing that we did and I loved it. And then right before he died, he told me, um, thank you for giving me something to look forward to instead of death. And I didn't even really realize what that was to him. And I think about him all the time. I was very new as a nurse then, and I was very eager to make connections with my patients. And anytime I feel burnt out, I remember that feeling and say, you know, no task is too small. No connection is too small. Thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. It's, it's, it's so beautiful to hear that. That's, and it's really like, you know, heartfelt and, and touching. I think one of the things that people often will want to know about people before they die is how they view things like money, happiness, success. What have you learned from the patients about how they, how they view those three things? It is so different for everyone, but I find that the people who are at the most peace at the end of their life have made peace with their past. The people who say that they actually have fewer regrets seem to be happier. And looking at it from the outside, it's very interesting because sometimes the people that you would think would have a lot of regrets are like, oh, well, everything that happened led me to today. And that's okay. And I think people with that mindset seem to, to actually do better at the end of their life. Yeah. Like living with no regrets is always like the best way to live, right? Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to witness. That's for sure. Have you, have you seen or have you talked to people about like their relationships with their family? Like, have you had people have these like come to Jesus moments about like either committing themselves to some sort of religion or God, um, or like forgiving a family member that they've held on to resentment, like for a long time? I mean, during your time with them? You know, I think a lot of people would think that that happens, but in my experience, it really doesn't. And I really did expect that going in that that would happen, but I've come to understand a little bit better that people are who they are and that doesn't necessarily always change on their deathbed. And I think it's important for people to hear that and understand that because sometimes I feel like when I talk to family members that they're disappointed that like their dad never apologized to them. And, you know, whenever I tell them, well, most people don't, they just, they are who they are and they understand it's not just them. And it's not like the movies always, you know? I, I know that you're somebody that deeply cares for your patients and like, this is like your purpose and, and your mission in life. But a lot of times that's not the case. This might be an obvious question, but maybe it's not so obvious. Um, in that how important is 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 it for somebody like yourself to be passionate about what they do so that they can have like the best relationship with this person in their in the last um in the final moments of their life i think it's very important i really do i i want for all hospice nurses to feel very passionately about their job um but you know that's not that's not always the case you know some people do want to go in and just do their job and go home and I do think about this a lot. And is it better to have someone who's there and make sure that you're okay versus having no one at all? And with the nursing shortage, honestly, I guess sometimes it is better to at least have people who are caring for you. But I do wish that everyone would go into it really wanting to make connections and making a difference. 
outside of you being more committed to spending intentional time with your family and valuing relationships and, you know, dealing with regret and, and therapy and stuff that you've gone through as a result of being in a, in the profession that you're in, like what else has being a, a hospice nurse like really taught you? What else has it influenced as far as your life? I think one of the biggest things, and I think, you know, there's some things that you're like, oh, that moment is what really changed my life or that um, instance is what really changed it. But I think more than anything, what I've learned from just talking to so many people is that you have to just enjoy the journey instead of the destination. And that has been something I've had to learn and not just always putting the goalpost a little bit further and being happy when you reach that, that it's really important to find that happiness every single day and just enjoy the journey. How do you view death now? Death does not scare me. Um, it used to at all. Um, I feel very confident that I'll have people come get me whenever it's my time and that it, there's something after this life and that it, it's beautiful. Was there a time during your, has there been a time during your career? Cause you mentioned that you were, it used to scare you. Was there a time during your career where you were like, man, this, this isn't going to be as, as bad as I, I think it may be. Yeah. Whenever I started realizing that patients had their deceased loved ones come to get them, no matter their religion or their beliefs or their background, that's whenever I was like, oh, wow, like this will be probably peaceful for me no matter what. Um, Because for a little bit, you think that it's a religious thing. You're like, okay, well, people think that that's their belief. So their brain at the end of their life, that's what happens. Um, And then whenever I had so many atheist patients or agnostic patients um, have loved ones come to get them and they feel peace, I I felt better with that. And, you know, even if it's not an afterlife thing and that's just something your brain does, knowing that at the end of my life, my brain's going to make me feel happy and surrounded by people I love, like I'm good with that too. Given what you know about the importance and value of time and, and life, and everything else other than family and profession, which you've talked about that you, you value dearly. What are some of the other things you value and that you incorporate into your, your day, into your week to make the most of your time here on earth? Yeah, I think helping others is a really big reason why we're here. I think it's very, very, very important to help others. And I think that there's so many ways that we can do that. And whether that just be smiling at a stranger or helping people with sharing, you know, this is what works for me to, you know, very big actions like holding someone's hand whenever they die. But I think that there are small things that we can do every day, no matter who we are, to really help other people. Um, You know, speaking of being of service, you touched on earlier that you do, you've done some work with people who are homeless. There's a stigma around people who are homeless. I think sometimes people are afraid to talk to people that are homeless. They're scared that something's going to happen if they approach them. In your experience, what are some of the biggest misconceptions? Like you said, that they are scary. And, you know, I felt that way too. My first couple of homeless patients walking down t- to homeless camps, um, especially at night sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, is that they usually create their own families too. So I, one particular instance where one of the best friends of one of my patients, he told me like, everyone here knows that you are coming to care for this person and no one will mess with you because you're caring for one of 
our people and they become like a family to each other. And I think that that is just absolutely beautiful. And I've also learned through other instances, such as one of my coworkers was assaulted in a mansion. And you have to learn that no matter the setting, that bad people are bad people. And bad people can have money and poor people can have, poor people can be bad people and rich people can be bad people. Like that doesn't necessarily determine how you are as a person. What have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from from dealing with people that are in you know dire straits or people that are that are homeless? Some of the biggest lessons I've learned is that uh, money does not buy happiness. I know that we all know that, but I have seen some very happy patients that really don't have a penny to their name at the end of their life, but they have family or friends surrounding them, and we make sure that they're comfortable. And then I've seen some people who have it have it all. I have had patients whose children have fought over who will get what while they're taking their last breaths. And you just money doesn't determine it at all. Yeah, I've I've learned just from, you know, volunteering in different settings that some of some people that you might think you might not think have the best advice have the best advice you've ever received because their meaning of life is so much different to people that maybe have more than them in an external way, right? Staying on this topic and putting a bow on this, because I think people would, maybe they're interested in this, maybe they're not, but yeah, what have you found that like, just from talking to homeless patients, like what have you, have you talked to them about what they want from people that are just like walking past them and not really saying much to them? I've heard before that they don't want pity. Um, they don't want for people to to pity them because um, they don't pity themselves. They're okay with their situations. That was very interesting to me. Another one that I do discuss in my book that was a very big revelation for me was that we were doing a turkey list where people got turkeys if they wanted it from our hospice company around Thanksgiving. And I went and I was like, oh, perfect, perfect people to get this free turkey from us. And I was like, hey, do you want to sign up for the turkey? And he was like, Oh no, you know, Thanksgiving, people people will come give us food, but the rest of the year we don't really get food. But Thanksgiving, you can count on food. And it was like, oh wow. Like that that is kind of I didn't realize that we do kind of do that. We can't, we'll care about people during certain times of the year and then we kind of forget about it like like now during the summer. I hope that somehow the issue with people being homeless gets gets resolved because I feel like it just gets worse and worse and worse. And I just feel so bad for these people that are just struggling. And what have you found that is like a common reason why people end up in situations like that? Is it drugs? Is it mental health? Is it financial stuff? Is it trauma? Like, what have you found to be a common thread? You know, what's interesting is that I find that people don't want to share because especially with my patients, I can see what it is based on their medical charts, what caused it. But if you ask them, they'll usually tell you something different, which I guess is just because of shame. And from what I can tell, though, is that many people that are on hospice that are homeless, they do choose to be there because nine times out of 10, if you have, if you're homeless, you can get into a facility for free. The government will pay for it and they choose not to. So they do choose to be there. That makes sense. Um, or kind of shifting gears a little bit. I, I'd love to know, like, like what inspired you 
to do what you're doing now? I mean, we talked about a little bit at the beginning why you became a hospice nurse, but like what really drove you to start sharing your story and start sharing, um, you know, all these relationships that you have with these, pa- these patients that really had an impact on your life? I, so many times I've sat in my driveway in my house and just been like, wow, like what a day, like, wow, I can't believe this happened. This is just, I can't believe this. And for a long time, I felt like I was being kind of selfish for keeping these stories to myself. Um, You know, I had all these patients that were giving me this advice at the end of their life or telling me these stories that it's like, I feel like this is not just for me. Like, I think that this is something that they would want other people to hear and, you know, to impact them as well. And I went in with no expectations. I was like, maybe someone will hear this, didn't expect to get the response I did. But now I understand it because it's affecting people the same way it affects me. And so if anyone else feels like I do, I totally get why someone else would want to hear these stories. I mean, your book has gone viral. And it's still, I think I checked the other day, it's still in the top 100 on Amazon, which is super impressive. I think it's been out for, what, like about a month or so, a little over a month or something like that. Six weeks, yep. Yeah. What's been the most common feedback you've gotten from people as far as why your book helped them so much? A lot of people said the honesty and the vulnerability. Um, I was extremely honest and vulnerable personally in it, Um, even share about losing my own loved ones, some of my own personal struggles. And they said, you know, I expected to like your patient stories because I like them on social media. Um, I didn't expect to relate to you on a personal level so much. And um, that has been my favorite because I w- it's scary to share such vulnerable stuff about yourself. Um, but to get all the positive feedback and hear that there's other people going through what I've went through, that's been the best. Has it been more nurses that have reached out or is it just, has it been more from just people that are dealing with hospice in general? Do people who have dealt with hospice in general or even have also wondered about, you know, an afterlife or spirituality and have also been on that journey of like, I don't really know, you know, what, what comes next? And that feeling of, I need to have concrete answers. And, you know, in the book, I just say, you know, this is why I'm okay. Like I'm comfortable in the uncomfortable of not having all the answers, but this is what I have seen. You mentioned that you've dealt with deaths of people that are close to you as well. Um, have you become desensitized at all to to death, given what you've like dealt with in your as a hospice nurse, like emotionally? You know, I was just wondering this the other day, actually, because since my book has come out, so we had a release party about three weeks ago. Um, and we invited all of our family and friends down to New Orleans for the weekend, rented a house, had a party. Um, and some of our best friends, basically all of our bridesmaids and groomsmen came and stayed with us for the weekend. Um, said goodbye to everyone on Sunday and actually Wednesday, my husband's best friend of 25 years died, uh, very unexpectedly. Um, that was a couple of weeks ago. I didn't know how long I would grieve for, if I would be ready to talk about the book or, um, death at all for a long time. And after about a week, I was feeling a little bit better. And I, I questioned, I asked myself that, have I gotten desensitized? Um, but instead I've realized that I feel very confident that I will see him again. And I feel very confident that he will want me to continue making a difference and talking to people. And so it's more of a, I feel a very strong purpose now. 
what's your view on the afterlife now, given your own experience and in, in dealing with all the, the uh, patients that you've dealt with towards the end of their life? I think there's an afterlife. Um, I don't personally put any labels on it. So I just consider myself to be spiritual. Um, but I don't have any issues with anyone who's religious. Um, I think that whatever kind of guidance you need or want, I think that that's wonderful because at the heart of it, I feel like almost all religions just want, encourage you to be a good person and live your life well. And so I, you know, I think that whatever your personal journey is, is wonderful. Well, Hadley, I wanted to thank you once again for coming on the podcast and for sharing your heart and for being so vulnerable and talking about this subject that is hard for everybody involved, no matter who's dealing with it. Um, if people want to follow you on social media, they want to check out your website and learn more about what you're doing. If they want to buy the book, where's the best place to do that? Yeah, so I'm on I'm Nurse Hadley on every single platform and then nursehadley.com will have all of those links. And then my book is called The In-Between Unforgettable Encounters During Life's Final Moments. And it is available anywhere you buy books. Amazing. Well, I'll be sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And Hadley, thanks again for coming on. Really love the conversation. And I think the audience is going to as well. Thank you.